As we were singing and praying, it's like, you know, oftentimes, and I'm sure you've prayed this before and we've said it from here, man, it's so good to be in a country where we have the freedom to meet together and worship the Lord. Um, and yet we almost have to modify that now because we don't have that freedom per se. We do, but we don't. And, and again, I just kind of want to just throw it out there uh, for those who are watching on, on, on the video as well. Just understand that, again, we will continue to video so that if you don't feel comfortable being here, um, then, then you can watch online. And I am so grateful that we, uh, we as a church finally got to that point where we have a camera because we haven't ever done that. But be that as it may, these doors, and I, this is just where I'm at right now, guys. Um, this is where I feel like the Lord in my personal reading and ministering to me um, going through the book of Hebrews where, you know, even before the, the new edict, the new um, order came on Monday, I was reading where it says to not forsake the assembly of the brethren. And I'm going, right on, Lord, we're going to continue to do that because that's what you call them. And then we go, I go right into chapter 11 of Hebrews where it says, by faith, by faith, by faith. And I just felt like, Lord, I want to, by faith, do and continue doing what we've been doing as far as meeting together. And then by Monday, that, that thing came, and I just thought, well, we're gonna, I think you, you spoke to me, Lord. And again, I don't mean to be breaking laws or be anything like that. I just, I don't think I'm breaking the law <laughs> because we have a constitutional right to worship together. And so, you know, Again, as I was thinking about this and praying and just kind of going, Lord, again, man, we respectfully decline their order. And, and again, if, if they shut us all down, I will, if I'm not in jail, I will continue <laughs> to come on thir Thursday nights and m Sunday mornings. And whoever shows up, shows up these doors and the gates will be open. So whoever comes in, I'm never going to turn anybody away. And so, again, you know, we're going to, again, and I want to encourage you, if you're feeling just a little sick, stay home. You can watch it online. If, if there's something that, that's bothering you, please stay home or come and talk to us. You know, um, again, mask, wear masks, social distance, whatever you guys want to do, but these doors are going to stay open. I don't want to be preaching on a Thursday so, or on a, uh, on a Friday night so we're, now we have it on Sunday morning. We're just gonna, I'm just going to be here. I'm not going to miss Sunday mornings anymore. Uh, well, unless I go on vacation or something. Other than that, <laughs> I am going to be here. And so, again, man, um, pray, 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 because a lot. Of, I'll tell you, man, a lot of the pastors that I'm talking to, they're just battling, and I'm battling too. Don't get me wrong. I'm battling. I just feel like this is where God has me for Calvary Chapel feeling. I don't know what other churches are doing. Pray for them. Pray for them. If you know other people, they're struggling just like we're struggling, guys. And so, again, just keep this up in prayer. We are in exciting times. I can almost get, well, no, I can, not almost. I can guarantee you this. From here on out, the church is never going to look like it did at the beginning of this year. I don't think, it's, I don't think we're ever going to get back to that. Now, I do want to encourage you, if you don't um, subscribe to, to the YouTube channel or to, to our Facebook or to our our website, you want to go on there, Mark Matthews and David Boberg did another update. It's on YouTube, it's on our social media. 
great. They did, did about an hour, just things that are going on. They touched the coronavirus. They touched Antifa, Black Lives Matter, just stuff that's going on out there. Great information. I encourage you to watch it because it will inform you. I just told Mark, maybe we should do these, you know, every month or something like that. He goes, oh, yeah, because by next week, the world changes again. And so we don't have the same freedoms we had at the beginning of the year. Who knew? And so, you know, if you would have told us six months ago that we would be like going against the governor and or, you know, the mind blowing. But hey, here we are. Um, well, we left Paul in the lurch once again. Not a phrase that we use very often, but I thought it was apropos. I thought it was fitting, suitable, given the fact that we left Paul in a difficult position, situation without help. And so, if you turn in your Bibles, uh, go to Acts chapter 23. Uh, we left Paul off in verse 11. Our text will go from verse 12 to the end of the chapter. But before we get into our text, I want to give you a little perspective of Paul's life. And so I need you to, you could, you don't have to, you can put your finger, your neighbor's finger there, uh, bookmark, and well, you, no, social distance. Right. Don't put your neighbor's finger there. Put your own finger there, or your bookmark, and turn over to 2 Corinthians chapter 11. Again, I can't even joke around like I used to sometimes, no. But anyway, be that as it may. I want to read to you Paul's overall life during his ministry to give you a perspective of what Paul endured. And so when we go back to read in our text, we can better understand that it was just another life, and, you know, another day in the life and times of the Apostle Paul. And so you should be at first or 2 Corinthians chapter 11. Let's begin in verse 22. Who are Hebrews? So am I. Are they Hebrews? So am I. Are they Israelites? So am I. Are they of the seed of Abraham? So am I. Are they ministers of Christ? I speak as a fool. I am more. In labors, more abundant. In stripes, beyond measure. In, in prisons, more frequent. In death, often. From the Jews, five times I received 40 stripes, Minus one. Three times I was beaten with rods. Once I was stoned. Three times I was shipwrecked. A night and a day I have been in the deep, in journeys often, in perils of water, in perils of robbers, in perils of my own countrymen, in perils of the Gentiles, in perils in the city, in perils in the wilderness, in perils of the sea, in perils among false brethren. In weariness and toil, in sleeplessness often, in hunger and thirst, in fasting often, in cold and nakedness. Besides all these things, what comes upon me daily, my deep concern for all the churches. Now go back to our text and I will read from verse 12 to verse 22. A little later we will finish the rest of the chapter today. I can almost guarantee you that. But our text, Acts chapter 23, beginning of verse 12. And when it was day, some of the Jews banded together and bound themselves under an oath 
saying that they would neither eat nor drink till they had killed Paul. Now, they, there were more than 40 who had formed this conspiracy. They came to the chief priests and elders and said, We have bound ourselves under a great oath that we will uh, eat nothing until we have killed Paul. Now you, therefore, together with the council, suggest to the commander that he be brought down to you tomorrow as though you were going to make further inquiries concerning him. But we are ready to kill him before he comes near. So when Paul's sister's son heard of the ambush, he went and entered the barracks and told Paul. Then Paul called one of the centurions to him and said, Take this young man to the commander, for he has something to tell him. So he took him and brought him to the commander and said, Paul the prisoner called me to you and asked me to bring, you, bring this young man to you. He has something to say to you. Then the commander took him by the hand, went aside, and asked privately, What is it that you have to tell me? And he said, The Jews have agreed to ask that you bring Paul down to the council tomorrow, as though they were going to inquire more fully about him. But do not yield to them, for more than forty of them lie in wait for him, men who have bound themselves by an oath that they will neither eat nor drink till they have killed him. And now they are ready, waiting for the promise from you, so the commander let the young man depart and commanded him, tell no one that you have revealed these things to me. Man, oh man, the story just gets greater and greater. It's just amazing. I love the fact that that night, again, as we left Paul off, that night before the Lord had revealed, the Lord had revealed himself to Paul, to encourage him, to strengthen him, back in verse 11, to remind him that he was there with him every step of the way and that he was not done with Paul. And so I, I titled the message, Killed Paul, He Doesn't Die Here. Just, to, you know, you see the, the title, it's like, they killed Paul? And it's like, no, he doesn't. Okay, we're going to leave you hanging in the lurch once again. But the Lord's not done with him. But I love the fact that the Lord reminds him of that. So in our text here, it says, And when it was day, some of the Jews... I, I could only imagine Paul, he woke up behind bars, even though he's a prisoner, he had the Lord show up and speak to him that very night, and so no doubt, he woke up with a stinking big smile on his face. Wouldn't you? If the Lord revealed himself to you, and you knew it just wasn't this ordinary dream that you had, wouldn't you wake up like, he knows my name, first of all. He knows my name, and he reminded me that my work for him, for Jesus, is not done. And so in the next morning, he wakes up smiling, but some of the Jews who were on the outside woke up on the wrong side of the bed. If they even went to bed that night, they were so troubled. They were so upset. These are 
Paul's fellow countrymen. And they were not smiling, to say the least. It, it is quite possible that these Jews that were being talked about here could be those original Asian Jews who had come because the, 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 the festival had continued to go on. I don't know exactly what day it is, but now it's a few days past that time. And so it could be the Asian Jews, it could be the, the Jews who had come from other places, the, the, the Jews from, from Jerusalem, but now these Jews have joined all together, and perhaps they are so upset, so upset that next morning that they really didn't get to stone Paul the day before. They all knew what would have happened up in the Antonio Fortress when he was speaking to them, when they took him in, and all the stuff going on, and they knew that they were going to the council the next day. Nothing happened. These guys are probably going, what the heck? These guys, Paul's getting off scot-free. And so I could almost imagine that these guys are so upset that the council, the Sanhedrin, didn't bring a judgment against him so that they could kill him. But they banded together under an oath, saying, we will neither eat nor drink until they had killed Paul. They made this, this, this pact, this agreement, this, this compact to conspire to kill a man, to kill him. You see, I think when you make a pact, when you get together, when you have a mob, it's much easier to kill someone as a gang than it is to do it face to face. Because you have to look at somebody's eye and kill them. And so when you're in a mob, it's a lot easier, right? Well, I, I would assume. I've never done that. <laughs> but you could imagine that in a mob, they were like, yes, we're, we're going to kill them. Because nobody really knows who strikes the final blow, if you will. And they could care less because they're all kicking and pushing and doing all these things. And so I, I, I was thinking of that. They banded together because it's much easier to do that. It takes less courage to kill somebody like that than to have to face someone face to face and kill them with your bare hands like God intended. Uh, I'm kidding. That was another. <laughs> that's a Princess Bride <laughs> quote from uh, Andre the Giant. Anyways. Um, <laughs> it's... So it says that they bound themselves together or bound themselves under an oath. The Greek phrase for that is they, they um, anathemized themselves. That's the Greek phrase. They anathemized themselves to bind themselves in a solemn oath. In other words, it means that they invoked a curse, if you will, on themselves and devoted themselves to destruction if they did not follow through with this oath. The word anathema means curse. So they anathemized themselves that if they didn't do that, that they would, they would die from hunger, basically. They cursed themselves. Now, I found it interesting because there's a commentator by the name of Lightfoot, and one of the commentators that I was reading, and he remarked this, quote, that they could be absolved, pardoned, from this vow by the rabbi, if the rabbi, if they were unable to execute it. Under various pretenses, they could easily be freed from such an oath. And it was common to take them. 
if there was any difficulty in fulfilling them, or, or fulfilling them, these oaths, they could easily apply for a religious teacher uh, to a relig religious teacher and be absolved, pardoned. In other words, these types of vows, in my opinion here, are gutless and meaningless. Oh, he's taking a vow to do this. Now, they probably didn't think that they'd have to follow through with that because they already have it in their mind, in their plan, this guy's a dead man by tomorrow. Here are more than 40 fanatical Jews who are so upset that have formed a conspiracy, a plot, and they have bound themselves to neither eat nor drink until they had killed Paul. Now, Paul's life <laughs> has, has been in danger from the very beginning, from when he got saved, from the very beginning, when he starts ministering. And I just kind of want to run through some of the things. And again, there's scripture to it, but I'm not going to give you all. It's all through the book of Acts, and we've studied it. When Paul first got saved and he witnessed for Christ in Damascus, they wanted to kill him. The first time he visited Jerusalem, after his conversion, the Hellenists, Jews, tried to kill him. The Jews drove him away from Antioch of Presidia, and he went to Iconium, and they threatened to stone him there. When he got to Lystra, they actually did stone him and left him for dead. In Corinth, the Jews tried to get him arrested. In Ephesus, the Jews plotted to kill him. When he came back to Corinth after another journey, they even planned to kill him on, on the sea. So this was nothing new in Paul's life. It was just another day in the life and ministry of Paul. <clears throat> suffering at the hands of his countrymen. So when he writes to the Thessalon Thessalonians, he says this in 2 Thessalonians, or 1 Thessalonians, 2 chapter, verses 14 and 16, as he's writing to them. For you, brethren, became imitators of the churches which are in Judea in Christ Jesus. For you also suffer the same things from our own countrymen, just as they did from the Jude, just as they did from the Judeans, Judeans, who killed both the Lord Jesus and their own prophets, and have persecuted us, and they do not <clears throat> please God and are contrary to all men, forbidding us to speak to the Gentiles that they may be saved, so as always to fulfill to fill up the measure of their sin. But wrath has come upon them to the uttermost. And so he writes to them saying, it is our own countrymen who are truly wanting to kill us. <clears throat> so when you go back to our text and we read what's going on in Paul's life, again, it's just another day in the life and times of the Apostle Paul. They want to kill him. In perils, always. 
often facing death. <clears throat> These men, in verse 14, they came to the chief priests and the elders, and they said to them, we have bound ourselves under a great oath, and we're not going to eat nothing until we have killed Paul. You therefore, okay? The, these Jews <clears throat> conspired to kill Paul, that, that had conspired to kill Paul. They were certain that the chief priests and the elders would agree to cooperate with them. To try and influence Claudius, this commander, and the complicity of these chief priests and elders in this plot kind of reveals their lack of legitimate, the case that they had against them. It wasn't even legitimate. They really didn't have nothing against Paul. And, and this kind of proves how base and vile and immoral their characters were. That again, these, these Jews, they knew you're going to comply with this. We are certain that you will go along with this. And so they go to, they're in coming to the, 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 the council or the Sanhedrin. They, I, I think they would have petitioned more on the, the Sadducees side, right? Be, be, because it was the Pharisees on this side who had sided with Paul and defended Paul. And as Paul threw that little grenade out there and let it explode... So, so you would think that they would go, go after the Sadducees and say, hey, we need, this, we need you guys to do this. But then again, it's the next day, and all bets are off, and the Pharisees probably want to kill him again. Now, it would be a natural thing for the council, the Sanhedrin, to want to further interrogate someone like Paul. Again, not, they, they didn't get to do anything to him. So it wouldn't be something off for them to ask for him to come back. So let's have another meeting. But this time, these guys are saying, you see, if you do that from, from, this, from the barracks to the place where you guys will meet, we will have enough time somewhere around there to ambush Paul and kill Paul. And if the commander, in one sense, gets in trouble by his superiors, well, the high priest could, could basically protect him. You see, the Romans and the Jews oftentimes cooperated with one another. And if you remember, back in Matthew chapter 28, after that whole debacle with the crucifixion and the burial, and then where's the body? There was this conspiracy that was brought up back then after the body came up missing, where it says in, in Matthew 28, verses 12 to 14, as the, the soldiers came to talk to the Sanhedrin, it says, when they assembled with the elders and consulted together, they gave a large sum of money to the soldiers, saying to them, his disciples came by night and stole him away while he slept. And if this comes to the governor's ears, we will appease him and make you secure. So it wasn't off the it wasn't far-fetched that they could kind of smooth things over if in fact Paul ended up dying somehow. <laughs> I just thought 
And he was Epsteinized, you know. He, 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 somehow, he ended up dead in his cell. How could that have possibly happen? <laughs> the Epstein theory. <laughs> now, now, as gutless and as meaningless as this oath seems to me, especially, these Jews <laughs> still wanted to kill Paul. And they really, really thought that they wouldn't have to go very much or, or, or any more than a day to have this guy killed. So they, they make this oath. We're not going to eat or drink until we've killed this man, thinking, ah, we're just going to probably miss one meal. And so their plan to ambush and kill Paul was more feasible if they kind of ambushed him Instead of any kind of attack onto the barracks where the Antonio Fortress was at, they knew that they could not overcome that and go in there and, and rush them and kill him inside there. That would never succeed. But as I'm thinking about this whole scenario, in their zeal, these Jews, in their zeal to ambush and kill Paul, they were putting themselves in danger to lose a few of them. <laughs> Given the fact that Paul was going to be guarded from there to here, they would still have to go up against them guards. And so there was a few of them that were probably willing to lose their lives over this as long as they killed Paul. And so this, this is still serious. Even though I think it's like, you guys are gutless. You guys really, you know, you guys are going to absolve yourselves if it doesn't happen. But again, they're serious. We're going to kill this guy. So in verse 16, it says, When Paul's sister's son heard about the ambush, in other words, Paul's nephew. <laughs> now, we, we really don't know anything or much about Paul's family. We know that his dad was a Pharisee, but we don't know why his sister was there. What, did she live there? Was she there visiting? How, how did the, her, her, his nephew have access? So most believe, well, they probably were not believers, and in that camp with Paul, they were still probably associated somehow with the Pharisees and had access to this information that Paul was going to, 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 to be killed. Could be that this young man was in the you know, in, on track to become a Pharisee. And so he may have heard it going, oh, that's my uncle they're talking about. I don't know exactly. But the Lord is using the fact that Paul is a Roman citizen to save his life again. Because he is put away because he has claimed to be a Roman citizen. Because he is. And they're protecting him. And because they are now, he is now a Roman citizen sitting in this prison, it was probably a little bit more open than it was before, he had, he had, somebody had opportunity to come in and out and talk to him. This young man somehow had the opportunity to come from the outside to go in and talk to Paul. So it was probably a little bit more lax. And so as we're looking at the story, this kid comes and tells Paul, Paul says, hey, guard, come here, you got to take this cat to, to the, the commander and talk to him. And so we almost have to give the commander some, some kudos here, you know, for his integrity and his courage to kind of listen to this young man. Again, how would he know that he's telling the truth? My thought was, 
Well, perhaps he had already caught wind that they wanted to see Paul tomorrow. And so when this kid comes in and says, hey, I, there's a plan out there, and the guy's going, I know what you're talking about. So I don't know if they, he had already caught wind that they wanted Paul. However the case is. Now, Paul had already caused problems for Claudius here, the commander. There was enough trouble going on in this guy that, that you, again, this is why we, we have to kind of commend this guy somewhat because it would have been a lot easier to go, hey, Paul, they want you over there and let him, just let him go. You're a free man, Paul. Go over there because they want to talk to you. They, you know, again, there was no formal charges against Paul, so the commander could have easily just let him out because there wasn't no charges and let the Jews kind of take him behind the alley and, and kill him and, and be done with it. And then nobody has to worry about Paul anymore. The Jews did not know that Claudius was already aware now of this plot. And so, so this commander could have used all this inside information to kind of have his own little plot if you wanted to. He could have used it for his own profit knowing that things can get worked out later. Now, on the other hand, as I'm reading this, as I'm studying this, I'm thinking it's quite possible that this commander is so interested and intrigued in Paul and about Paul and what he stands for that he is now truly looking out for this man. And again, I think it just goes to show that the Lord can use anybody to, to accomplish his purpose. Because this guy is now protecting Paul. Why would he have to? If this guy has no charges, he's protecting this guy. And he tells this young man, tell no one of what's going down. You just keep it on the down low, bro. Don't let anybody know what's going on. I'll take care of this for you guys. So verse 23 to the end of the chapter. So he called for two centurions saying, prepare 200 soldiers, 70 horsemen, 200 spearmen to go to Caesarea at the third hour of the night and provide mounts, for, uh, mounts to set Paul on and bring him safely to, Phoenix, uh, to Felix, the governor. He wrote a letter in the following manner, manner Claudius Lysias, to the most excellent governor, Felix, greetings. This man was seized by the Jews and was about to be killed by them. Coming with the troops, I rescued him, having learned that he was a Roman citizen. And when I wanted to know the reason they accused him, I brought him before their council and found out that he was accused concerning questions of their law, but had nothing charged against him deserving of death or chains. And when it was told me that the Jews lay in wait for the man, I sent him immediately to you, and also commanded his accusers to state before you the charges against him. Farewell. Verse 31. 
Then the soldiers, as they were commanded, took Paul and brought him by night to Antipartus. The next day they left the horsemen to go with them and return to the barracks. When they, had, when they came to Caesarea and had delivered the letter to the governor, they had uh, presented Paul to him. And when the governor had read it, had read it, he asked what province he was from. And when he understood that he was from Cilicia, he said, I will hear you when your accusers have also have come. And he commanded the, him to be kept in Herod's uh, praetorium. And so this commander, knowing what he knows, decides to, to, to make a plan. It was simple, it was plain, and, and, and he was going to make every provision possible to secure Paul's escape and get him out of this dangerous situation. Now, he knew that he would have to get Paul out of Jerusalem because if he didn't, there would be a murderous plot after murderous plot after murderous plot to try and kill this guy. And one of those times might, may have succeeded, but for some reason he feels, I really want to protect this guy. I don't need him dead. I don't want him dead. And so he also knew that he had to determine some charges against Paul somewhat because he was holding this Roman citizen and it was illegal to hold anyone without any kind of charges, especially a Roman citizen. So he's able to solve this situation, this problem, by sending him to Caesarea and putting him in the authority of Felix, the Roman governor. And even though this commander is making all these plans, it is the Lord that is directing Paul's way. So it doesn't matter what the plans are. God already knows what he's doing. And I love that because Paul doesn't have a choice here, but the Lord is directing every step of the way for Paul because he had already told them, I'm going to get you to Rome. You're going to testify of me at Rome. But he's doing it this way. Now, if Paul was just a regular old Joe, a regular citizen, attempting to travel from Jerusalem to Caesarea, which is about 65 miles east, leaving at 9 o'clock at night, <laughs> that's what the third hour was, or what was it? Uh, yeah, the third hour at night. It would be 9 o'clock at night. He would, have, he would have been an easy target for these guys who have been conspiring to kill him. And if he was able to escape them, then he still had to, to worry about your ordinary run-of-the-mill robbers on the way. So again, here, he, this commander has arranged 470 soldiers, basically, to protect this guy. That, that's almost like half of the, the troops that were there at the temple garrison there. And so once again, Paul, in Paul's ministry, he is being smuggled out of a city in the cover of night. <laughs> and so the letter that he writes, he writes to him, verses 25 to 30, and the captain, this, this commander's official letter is kind of interesting in the fact that 
because he is writing this, he puts himself and his men in the best light possible. Of course he would. Meanwhile, it, w- it was true, you know, I mean, it was true that he had prevented Paul from being killed, but he didn't know that he was a Roman citizen. He didn't find that out until later. He thought he was an Egyptian. And he discreetly omitted the fact that he almost had Paul scourged and that he had bound him without knowing that he was a Roman citizen. And so again, he, he kind of plays it down, never mentions a thing about strapping him, ready to be scourged. But in verse 29, it's an important verse for us to take a look at because he says, I found out that he was accused concerning their law, but had nothing charged against him deserving of death and chains. This is an important note because the commander himself officially is saying Paul is innocent. It was an official statement, this letter. It was an official document now proving that the Christians, at least this Christian, was not a criminal. It's interesting because, again, going into Paul's life, the officials in Philippi almost had to apologize for the way they treated him in Philippi. Galil in Corinth had refused to try him. In Ephesus, the town clerk had to, had to tell 2,500 people to stand down because he was innocent of the crimes. And now this commander of the temple fortress is doing the same thing. He's writing it. This guy's innocent. Later on in the next few chapters, Festus and, and, uh, and Herod Agrippa will we'll also confirm that Paul shouldn't even be in prison. He should be set free. And even the, the Jewish leaders in Rome will have to come back. They will come to the same conclusion. And this is what First Peter chapter, chapter 4 says. Peter writes this in 1 Peter 4, 14 to 16. If you are reproached for the name of Christ, blessed are you. For the spirit of glory, for the spirit of, of glory and of God rests upon you. On their part, he is blasphemed, but on your part, he is glorified. But let none of you suffer as a murderer, as a thief, as an evildoer, as an, a busybody in other people's business. If Yet if you suffer as a Christian, let him not be ashamed, but let him glorify God in this manner. I can't tell you how that ministers to me. That Again, I do not want to be an evildoer. I'm not called to be a troublemaker. I'm called to be a peacemaker. I don't want to be accused of, of, of robbing, of, of stealing, of, of being an evildoer, even as a busybody. If we're going to be punished by our governor, it will be because we're preaching the word of God. That's what I, again, that spoke to me so loudly, and that's why I had to put it in there. Again, here's the situation that's going on. And we never want to be the troublemakers. 
We are peacemakers. But when push comes to shove, I want to be arrested because I'm preaching Jesus Christ and Him crucified. Because we're reading His Word. Come and take us in, shut us down, do whatever you want. Blessed are you for doing that. <laughs> Not because we're going to sue the governor, we're going to do all these things. It's like, I care less about I'm not going to fight him. He can come and take me. I'm not in a war with him, even though he's at war with us. I'm okay with that. We're going to continue doing what we're doing. And this is why this spoke loud to me. And I, I was telling some of the pastor friends of mine, I just find it interesting where we're at on Thursday nights in Hosea and where we're at on Sunday mornings, because a lot of this is just speaking to me, that we're headed in the right direction for Calvary Feeling. And so, again, I just love the fact that, again, as we're closing up here, it says the soldiers, in verse 31, they were commanded to take Paul and brought him to this city here. They brought him by night, leaving at 9 o'clock at night. Paul and his escorts went from Jerusalem to Antipatis, Antipatis uh, about 37 miles. So they were hoofing it that night. I guess it's called a forced march where you're just boom, 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 going forward because they got to that place in no time flat, it seemed like. And so they got there. The 70 horsemen, the cavalry, if you will, would continue to, to, to take Paul, the, the 200 soldiers and the 200 spearmen. They returned back to the barracks since they have kind of left a dangerous area and now rest of these guys are going to go for 27 miles and get them there to Caesarea. It is at that point that now they turn them over to the governor. Is he going to be safe with this governor? I don't know. You know, you know what governors can do. <laughs> be that as it may, somebody wanted me to, to insert Gavin Newsom's name instead of Felix here. And it's, no, Rick, I'm not. <laughs> <laughs> Scratch that from the tape, just in case. No, <laughs> I'm kidding. But anyways, so here, here's this thing about this guy. Again, he, he is now with the governor. Now, Antonio Felix, again, he was the governor uh, of, of Judea there. He married a woman named Drusella, Drusella, a Judas who was the daughter of Herod Agrippa I. And, and she had left her husband to become Felix's third wife. She was the sister of Herod Agrippa II, a Roman historian. I'm just reading to you some of the things about Felix here. A Roman uh, historian, uh, Tacitus, um, said that Felix exercised the power of a king in the spirit of a slave. Felix was called the vulgar ruffian. And he lived up to his name, they said. Now, Paul is protected by an escort fit for a king. I mean, this guy, they just treated him like royalty. And when he got here to this place, he wasn't put into the common prison. No, he was placed in the palace that was, had been built by Herod the Great, where this governor, it was his official headquarters. And he is put in what is called Herod's Praetorium, which was a judgment hall. That's where they would, you know, come in back and forth and talk to him. But you have to wonder, now that he's in Caesarea, if 
the, the, the believers there in Caesarea have caught wind of the fact that Paul is now back in town. Not free so much, but he's back in town. And if they would go and seek him out to help him out. If they did know, and I just thought this was interesting, if they did know that he was in town, you have to believe that they remembered the visit of Agabus. Do you remember Agabus? When, he was, when they were in Caesarea and he ties himself up and said, whoever this belt belongs to, he will be bound. Now he's back, basically bound. I wonder if they're realizing that this, this prophecy has been fulfilled. So as we look back at the events recorded in these few chapters, you can't help but, but be impressed, admire, if you will, the commitment of the Apostle Paul and what he has been called to do, who he was. You see, he still believed that none of these things moved me, as he said back in chapter 20. All the while, using wisdom, when to speak up, when not to speak up. How to conduct himself and, 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 and all of those things. God has blessed this man. If there was ever a man who dared to follow Christ, come what may, Paul was that man. Paul was that type of man. Paul did not look for the easy road. He did not look for the, the best road, you know, or, or you know, something that, that would not hurt him. He was willing to do whatever it took to honor the Lord and win the lost. He was even willing to become a prisoner to further the work of the gospel. And we look at the lengths that the Lord went and the length that he took to care for Paul. Brothers and sisters, I don't know where we're going to be at next week. I don't know where we're going to be at in a month from now. We are in unprecedented times as far as the Christian church is in America. Are we willing to look at the scriptures and look at what happened to a brother like Paul and say, I want to imitate Christ just like he imitated Christ. I want to follow Christ the way he followed Christ. Are we willing to do that? Because again, we see that God went through to great lengths to get him where he needed to be. Through all the trouble. We can look at this and we read his life in, in, in 2 Corinthians chapter 11. And if anybody could have said, this Christianity stuff, it, this kind of sucks a little bit, man. It would have been him to say, I don't know if I could do this. You and I, you and I. We are no different than the Apostle Paul. He was just a man who was willing to follow Jesus and nothing moved him. Nothing moved him. He was willing to give up his life for who Christ is. He wasn't going to be a fool in any of that. He would use wisdom as he went. Guys, are we, are we willing? It's exciting times that we're living in. I don't know what the future holds, but this I do know. I know who holds the future. And that I will trust in. Why? Because I know what God's word says. The Christian church, again, I've told you guys before, I read the end of the book. We still win. We might die for it. 
But we still win in the end. And I want to encourage you that we are no different than what we read about here. These guys, again, we think, man, they were courageous. It's like, you are too. But it will take pressure on us. <laughs> it will take pressure to see what we're made out of. And so Jesus, as he knew Paul's name, he knows your name. As he stood with Paul, he will stand by you. As he comforted Paul, he will, he will comfort us. And he will encourage us. Amen? Father, we look to you. We trust you, Lord. We have to. There's nothing else, Lord God, in this world. Lord, we are living in unprecedented times, Lord. And I thank you for where you have us as a church on Sunday mornings, Lord. Going through the book of Acts, seeing all these things that are playing out in Paul's life, Lord God. And again, at the beginning of the year, Lord, we would have no clue that we would be in this place right now, Lord. And yet, what an exciting thing. You knew it. You are sovereign. And so we trust that, Lord. I pray for my brothers and sisters. Give them strength. Give them courage. Remind them that you know their name. Remind them, Lord, that they, they can call upon you and you will save them. And Lord, even if, if we don't live through this, we're okay. And I pray that we would be reminded of that, Lord, as I'm reminded, and somebody shared with me the other day about Meshach, Shadrach, and Abednego, Lord. They weren't going to bow the knee because they knew that you would deliver them. And if not, <laughs> they would still not bow down. And so, Lord, we're grateful for your word. It speaks. It gives us hope, Lord. It, it continues to, to, to encourage us. And so we look to you and we thank you. We love you, Lord. In Jesus' name, amen. Let's stand, peeps. Hopefully we see you again next week.